This episode of Locked On Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Go to BuiltBar.com to save $10 off your very first purchase. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network. Talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and today we're going to be having a little bit of a discussion episode. This is one of those episodes that is not going to be really related to all of A&M sports, A&M athletes, A&M football, basketball. This is going to be about the controversy going on in College Station with Kellen Mond and Jamon Osmond leading the pack of AM players wanting the removal of the Sully statue. So we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson as well on who Sully is and what he means to the University of Texas A&M, what the players have been doing, and how this protest has now put kind of an edge between the two. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to help make this show better, I will always take into consideration. So no matter what you think, always send me what you want to see on this show. And if I like it and if I think that it's beneficial, I will add it to the show for our four to five day podcast weekly episodes. And also follow us at Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things Texas A&M related content here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're on Monday through Friday, five days a week, most weeks. We're going to be starting to go back to that style very soon. I think in about two weeks, that's the game plan for us to be back to a five-day show. So follow us at Locked On Aggies, subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify, and at Mr. Cole Thompson. So, as we discussed this episode is going to be about the history of the Sol Ross statue outside of College Station. AM players are now speaking their voices because of the Black Lives Matter movement going on and that Lauren Sullivan Ross needs to be removed from the campus. Uh, son, uh, last week, Kellen Mond retweeted a tweet of a former student who said, Those present at a Saturday campus protest in favor of keeping the statue in its current position at Academic Plaza, right in the heart of the campus of AM, were using traditions as scapegoats for racism. Mond said in a different tweet, If one side is protesting racism, the other side is counter protesting racism. Prairie View AM was created to obtain federal funds from the Second Morale Act of 1890. Instead of integrating the Texas AM campus, PVAMU was created. Ross killed and disfranchised blacks. Basically, what he's saying is, when Sully Ross decided to help fund for Texas A&M to be built, he had a segregated school for African-American people up in Prairie View, Texas, which is about a good 45 minutes away from College Station. And that is why it is a historically black college. While it isn't officially linked to A&M outside of just the A&M name on the very end of it, they were the Panthers, the other team was the Aggies, there was the integration problem that happened during that time period that allowed African-American students to go to college in the state of Texas, but not at a college predominantly white. 
In fact, up until I think it was 1962, it was all white. So again, the progression of racism back then was clearly evident because even though Sullivan Ross, uh, he stepped up and he was the governor of Texas, wanted to give African-Americans a chance to go to college and give them that opportunity. He built an entire university to keep the whites and the blacks away from each other. And that's what he was talking about in the 1890 act. Uh, Not only that, Ross was a Confederate general, a Texas Ranger, and the 19th governor of Texas. He served as the president of Texas A&M from 1891 until his death in 1898. Those in favor of keeping the statue at Academic Plaza have cited Ross's efforts in saving a struggling A&M university early on in its developmental years, securing the funds and boosting enrollment along with his work for Prairie View A&M University. Those who were at this past weekend's protest want a statue removed cited Ross's role in the Confederate States Army, which said, therefore, advocated the continuation of slavery along with the treatment of indigenous people and those of Mexican descent in Texas while serving as a Texas Ranger and the governor of Texas. A&M's associate history professor, Sonia Hernandez, said this past weekend, the statue of Ross commemorates a man whose life, beliefs, and actions and principles stand in a stark contrast in the institution of Texas A&M to strive to be. Basically, what Miss Hernandez is saying is that if you stand for what Ross's beliefs were and keep his statue and memory in line, what you're doing is you're promoting racism. You are promoting every one of his beliefs. And while that may not be entirely true, it is a big red flag when you have ethics professors and you have people of non-color and you have people of all different genders and races and sexualities coming together and saying, listen, we appreciate what the man has done, but at the same time, there's a lot of problems with his statue being in the forefront of our university. When you go walk through campus, and I'll just bring up this story because of I can say from my past experiences growing up in the South and going to college in the SEC, it's prevalent throughout the entire Southeast that Confederate soldiers, Confederate generals, people who funded the Confederacy were honored by institutions throughout the universities because of they were wealthy owners. And they themselves might not have been slave owners, but if they were, or if they were part of a family that owned slaves and then had the money to fund a program at a university, there is in lies the problem. So I went to the University of Alabama and we had about five halls that were named after predominant slave owners of the 1800s. One of my top buildings that I went to, I was an English major as well as a journalism major, was Morgan Hall. Morgan was a Confederate uh, colonel, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and he was a very traditional slave owner. A lot of people, even back in 2015-16, when I was going into my senior year in Tuscaloosa, wanted the name change. And eventually, the name has been put up for debate along with Gorgas Library, to be changed to not honor the memories of the people who fought to keep slavery around. And that's a problem. And once again, it's not that I think that you can not honor these people, but you have to look at it in consideration. Back in the day when these colleges were being funded, 
it didn't cost so much to fund them when you compare it to now. And even though that they did donate a lot of money and help with the building of the fantastic institutions that are Auburn, Alabama, Texas A&M, I would even throw in Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a fantastic university. The connotation that goes alongside their names as people who own slaves, people who were for the oppression of African Americans, and then you have students come onto those campuses and say, we're going to go put you in a building where 200 years ago, if you would have been here on this campus, you would have not been allowed unless you were part of the help or the work. That is where the problem lies. And unfortunately, this is something that a lot of people are trying to find a middle ground in. And it's very hard to see this coming to an end without one side looking like the bad guy in the end. And right now, I do believe, as we break down more about Sullivan Ross's history and how he played a role in A&M and also what he did as part of the Confederacy, you'll understand why a lot of people are disgruntled about Ross's statue being in the heart of College Station. While the quarantine session for COVID-19 is still going on, it's best to stay in shape. But unfortunately, some of the workout facilities are still closed, meaning you have to work from home. So in that case, you're going to have to eat right. And there's one tasty treat to start your day off in a positive mood that could get you losing weight fast. And that's Built Bar. Built Bar is a tasty protein bar that tastes exactly like a candy bar and comes in 16 amazing different flavors. I personally like the salted caramel and the peanut butter brownie. I think both of those are fantastic flavors, but the bars are covered in 100% real chocolate and soft and easy to chew. They're a great way to help the health conscious guy stay in shape without having to put in all those other nutrients in your body. I mean, look at this flavor for my favorite, the peanut butter brownie. 20 grams of protein, 3 grams of sugar, 170 calories, and 3 grams of net carbs. You're not going to be able to find another health bar just like this with the same tasty treat. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off of your first purchase. That promo code is LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. So whatever you do to stay in shape during quarantine, start your day off right with Built Bar. Not only will you have a tasty treat, but you'll be starting to see the calories burn off right away. We're talking about the Sullivan Ross statue here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And right now we're going to look ahead at what Sullivan Ross's history was like and why the statue brings some controversy to the conversation. And we'll be doing that in just a quick moment. The Lockdown Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the host, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for a change. And in the month of June, Lockdown is matching the total of all of our host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. That website is LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts surrounding your favorite sports scenes by people who understand the sport possibly better than you? If that's the case, go visit LockedOnPodcast.com. The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and highlight information to get you ready for fantasy sports season. Listen to us on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, and if you don't want to do any of that, at least go listen to us live on LockedOnPodcast.com. 
We're talking about Lawrence Sullivan Ross, one of the former presidents of Texas A&M University whose statue hangs outside of Academic Plaza in College Station and the controversy that does surround his statue right now. Uh, there was an opinion piece written on the HoustonChronicle.com that I suggest everyone should read by Sunger Hernandez, the same person who came up with the, the quote that we shared earlier, talking a little bit about Ross's history. So let's just go through it a little bit. When Texas seceded from the Union in 1861, along with the 10 other states that formed the Confederacy Army, uh, biggest thing that everyone talked about was slavery. Uh, there was a couple of other reasons that the state seceded, naturally, but the biggest one was slavery. Uh, the states really want to save the preservation of slavery, uh, the subjunction of African Americans, and the supremacy of white people motivating the call to arms. There's a couple other things with agriculture. There's a couple other things with the business side, the economic side. But the biggest thing of all when you talk about the Civil War is the battle for slavery. And if the Union was going to uphold their side or if the Confederacy would be able to keep their slaves. Now, Ross served as a general for the Confederate Army during his time, and he said that the Confederacy was to stand up and uphold the equal civil rights for all white men and maintain the servitude of the African-American race. That alone is not a good quote. It basically is saying that white men only, not white females, not, you know, all men and no women, only white men should be able to have the power and the control of everything that happens in our lives. In 1862, against the words of himself, uh, the men of the 6th Regiment elected him to be colonel. He said he did not want the job, but Ross's actions impressed other officers several times during that summer, and he was eventually promoted to brigadal general. While still afoot, Ross and his men participated in the Battle of Corneth. Under his command, his Texans uh, twice captured Union guns at the Battery Robinette. They were forced to retreat from their position as reinforcements failed to uh, uh, arrive. The 6th Cavalry's horses arrived soon after the Battle of Hatchies Bridge. Uh, Ross led 700 riflemen to engage against Union troops. For three hours, his men held off 7,000 Union troops, repelling three major Union's attacks. Uh, his regiment was then transferred to the Cavalry Brigade under Colonel William H. Red Jackson. Ross fell ill in 1863, and up until March of 1864, he suffered reoccurring attacks of fever and chills every three days uh, that symptomized malaria. In March of 1864, Ross's brigade fought against African-American soldiers for the first time in Yazoo City, Mississippi. After bitter fighting, the Confederates were victorious. During the surrender negotiations, the Union officer accused Texans of murdering several captured African-American soldiers. Ross claimed two of his men had likewise been killed after surrendering Union troops. Beginning in May, the brigade endured 112 consecutive days of skirmishes, compromising in 86 separate clashes with the Union forces. The last major campaign was the Nashville-Franklin campaign of November and December 1864. Ross and his men led the Confederate advances into Tennessee between the beginning of November and December 27th. His men captured 550 prisoners, several hundred horses, and enough overcoats and blankets to survive the chill. Only 12 of Ross's men were killed, with 70 captured. 
Towards the end of the Civil War, Ross began a 90-day furlough in 1865. He had participated in 135 engagements with Union troops, and his horse has been shot from underneath him five times, yet he escaped serious injury. Uh, Ross did not receive a parole protecting him from arrests when the uh, Confederate Army began to surrender, so he was not prosecuted with other Confederate generals and other Confederate colonels or higher-ranking officials. To prevent his arrest and consification of his property on August 4th of 1865, Ross applied for a special pardon uh, for his treason against the United States. The then-President Andrew Johnson accepted his application on October 22nd, 1866, but Ross did not receive and formally accept the pardon until July of 1827. So Ross and most of his family were involved along with the Civil War. Big-time Civil War person. And the only reason why Sully was not put in the same category as other high-ranking officials was because if he was on leave when the Confederate Army surrendered. After that, he was able to kind of see the error of his ways and partially depart from the actual controversy that goes along with it. But... He did torture and kill African-American soldiers while being in command of the Confederacy 6th Regiment. Does that mean he himself killed any African-Americans? No, there's no statistical proof that outside of the battlegrounds he killed any African-Americans, single-handedly. But he did have to execute an order if you were a prisoner of war to kill. So he did sign off saying kill them. Which makes him just as guilty as, I think, the person holding the gun. Who then ended the lives of our African-American brothers and sisters. That is where the problem lies with this whole controversy. Ross then became the governor of Texas, the 19th governor, in 1887. And he was in office from January 18th, 1887 till January 20th, 1891. After that, he became the president of the Agriculture and Mechanical College of Texas, better known known now as Texas A&M University. Uh, Ross really played a big role in the improvements of the uh, of the students. Uh, when you look at what he was able to do, uh, when the students returned for the 1891-1892 school year, they found a new three-story dormitory with 31, 41 rooms, uh, the beginning of a construction of a new home for the president and new buildings to house the machine and blacksmith shops. The minimum age for enrollment decreased from 16 to 15, making it easier for students to up their rate. And Ross now personally interviewed all the prospective students to determine should they be admitted. Fees and expenses only rose by $10 per session. And the number of hours required to graduation increased, making it harder for students to actually have a four, four, full four-year degree. He implemented English grammar, science classes, mathematics, and history. Additionally, Ross would now appoint the officers of the Corps of Cadets. That is a major part of AM history, if you did not know that. Enrollment only continued to arise, and by the end of his tenure, Ross requested that parents first communicate with his office before sending their sons to school. 
the increase in students' necessity and improvement in facilities from late 1891 until September of 1898. The college spent over $97,000 in improvement of new buildings. This included the construction of a mess hall, which could seat over 500 dinners in one session, the infirmary, which included an indoor toilet facility on campus, the first one there, an artisan well, a natatorium, four facility residencies, an electric light plant, an ice works machine, a laundry mat, a cold storage room, a slaughterhouse, a gymnasium, a warehouse, and an artillery shed. Despite the expenditures of the facilities, the school treasury held a surplus from 1893 to 1894. The 1894 financial report caused a surplus to Ross's leadership, and Ross ensured the money would be returned to the students afterwards. Ross also made a massive impact on the students. He made himself accessible to students who participated in school activities whenever possible. Those around him found him slow to condemn, but ready to encourage as they could not re recall hearing Ross use profanity or seeing him ever visibly angry. Every month he prepared grade sheets for the students that would often allow them to poorly helped students that were performing poorly into his office for discussion of their difficulties. Under his leadership, the military aspect of the college was emphasized, which eventually led to the building of the core we know now. However, he eliminated many practices that were considered unnecessary, including marching to and from class. He reduced the amount of guard time and the number of drills the students were expected to perform. Although enrollment had always been limited to men, Ross favored co-education as if he thought the male cadets would be improved by elevating influences of the good girls. In 1893, Ethel Hudson, the daughter of Texas AMC professor, became the first woman to attend class at the school and helped edit the annual yearbook. She was made an honorary member of the class of 1895. Several years later, her twin sisters became honorary members in 1903, and slowly others' daughters were allowed to attend classes. During Ross's seven-and-a-half-year tenure, many enduring Texas A&M traditions were formed. This include the Aggie Ring, the Aggie Bard. Ross's tenure also had the first intercollegiate football game against the University of Texas. Many student organizations were found, including the Fat Man's Club, the Bowlegged Men's Club, the Glee Club, known as the Singing Cadets, the Bicycle Club, the College of Dramatic Club, and in 1893, they started publishing a monthly newspaper called The Battalion. And two years after that, they produced an annual yearbook known as the Oleo. So plain and simple, Ross implemented multiple things to help build Texas A&M University into the college it is today. He was a massive part of building the cadet corps that we know that so many people go to and are a member of. He also helped build, for someone like me, a newspaper station. The battalion that still is in use today was founded by Sullivan Ross. And because of all of his works, when he died in 1897, a statue was commemorated to honor his legacy. So again, when you look at Sullivan Ross, the person who helped build Texas A&M into a college that everyone knows, it is hard to say that he does not deserve praise and recognition for helping build the school. However, because of his brutality against African Americans in the Confederacy, the way he performed as a Texas Ranger against Mexican descent people, indigenous people of color, and any single Native American who lived on land, 
you are at a crossroad that has a ton of fire ready to ignite and cause problems for anyone involved. Speaking of problems, do you guys have any problems with your cars? I know I am someone who likes to be hands-on with my own vehicle, but with the increasing numbers of Audis being made, it's now impossible to keep up to stock with every traditional part you need without paying an extra price. That's why I like to use rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for the past 20 years. They have everything from engine control modules to brake pads to fall lamps and even new carpets. So whether you're trying to refurbish an old car or just keep your new car in to date, they have all the parts for you. And if you check their catalog, it's built just for you to be able to navigate an easier pathway. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, choose the brand, specification, and even pick the price you prefer to pay. Go to rockauto.com right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck and write in locked on in the how to hear about us page so they know we sent you. Amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts you will ever need. Rockauto.com has the parts for you today. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about how to implement the Sullivan Ross statue moving forward and if it is a massive problem to continue to hold out an academic plaza. We'll be breaking down why in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. As we've been breaking down for the past couple minutes, this entire, you know, podcast, what's going on with the Sullivan Ross statue that's positioned in the heart of campus right off of Academic Plaza? On Friday, quarterback Kellen Mond and wide receiver Jamon Osmond, both considered senior leaders and captains of the A&M facilities, took March against uh, the A&M administration building to remove the statue that's positioned right off of Academic Plaza. Uh, Mond was caught saying, I'm an Aggie until the day I die. This Aggarine means a lot to me. But at the same time, we can be so much better people. This university is a great university, but there's also has a lot more to change. Mon and others were calling for the removal of Ross's statue because the former Texas governor served as a Confederate general and therefore was against the preservation of slavery of African Americans. A&M President Michael Young announced a commission will determine the statue's standing when the 100-plus marchers arrived at the statue after police blocked off part of George Bush Drive for their protest. The marchers were greeted by five older white gentlemen standing guard in front of the statue. There's a very... Very moving photo taken by Brent Zernwin from the Houston Chronicle standing outside of the statue. And both sides, you can see, looking into each other's faces. The two sides engaged for quite some time in a lively debate while Osborne urging the respect from both sides throughout. At one point, Texas A&M's track infinite, infinite Tucker went behind one of the men and shoved pennies off the statue's base. Students replacing pennies on the statue is a long Aggie tradition with good luck on their test and schoolwork. Tucker told the man, don't touch me, and Osmond urged again to calm down people. Few people are on campus right now because of courses were online due to COVID-19, and many of the athletes for fall sports have returned for voluntary workouts. Again, this seems like a minor thing, but it's a big deal. And the biggest thing that I take away from all of this is when your senior quarterback is coming out of his way, putting his neck on the line, showing P 
people, fans, students, and any person who has represented the maroon and white or holds true to the 12th man name right now, that Ross's statue, while very well earned for his responsibilities to build A&M to what it is today, brings a negative connotation to any person of color, any person of indigenous background, any person of Mexican descent. It serves as a reminder that this man who founded this university, or not really founded, my bad, but pretty much saved the university, created a very separate university for you to attend because if he did not want you on his campus, it speaks big volume and it shows straight up what it means to represent your college. And I think what Kellen Mond and Jamon Osmond and a bunch of other athletes were doing is, while they were protesting the removal of the statue, they were more so saying, as an African American, I can't understand why people can believe that this is tradition. Traditions are meant to be broken. And with the traditions that are broken, we can only grow from it. So I understand people wanting to keep the Sullivan Ross statue up. I don't think, and this is my personal opinion, you can have your own. It's fine. We can discuss this. I don't think Sullivan Ross's statue needs to be completely removed from the campus. But it needs to be put outside of Academic Plaza. If you want to put it in College Station somewhere else, I understand that. I think if you put it in a museum throughout Texas, that's another thing you could do. I have been a very big vocal advocate for the statues throughout the Southeast that are trying to be removed, be put in museums and in institutions of learning about the Confederacy. Much like we have World War II museums, Holocaust memorials throughout the United States, we should be doing the same thing for the Confederacy. For us to learn about battles that happened in certain cities. For us to learn about our past. But more importantly, for us to see how divided our country was when all this happened. These were people who may be revered for what they did for their own state in their own way. But they also had a belief system that helped cause... One of the biggest downfalls in American history. So am I for the removal of the Ross statue at Texas A&M at Academic Plaza? Yes, I am. 100%. I don't think a single person should have to fear or have to say, well, you know what? This man didn't like me, so I have to look at him every single day when I go to class. I don't think that's fair. Especially for any person who is smart enough and has worked their butt off in the Lone Star State to earn admission to College Station and to the great University of Texas A&M. I don't think that they should. But I do think that there should be a place to keep Ross's statue up as a reminder that as good as someone can be in this world, there's another side of them that we know that helped cause problems in the United States. Because Sullivan Ross, the Aggie, is a great Aggie. What he was able to do to build the reputation and the tradition of A&M can never be taken away from him. But Sullivan Ross, the person, 
brings a whole other connotation to when we break down this conversation. And it's a little frightening to say the least. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow, Johnny Manziel had some comments about his future when it comes to professional football. Is this the end of the Johnny football era? Perhaps it is. But while you're at it, before you listen to that show, listen to our sister podcast here on the Locked on ACC, Locked on SEC, Locked on Pac-12, Locked on Big Ten, and of course, Locked on College Football. We'll see you tomorrow, and remember, kick them y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.